Everybody's having such a good time fellowship, fellowshipping. I dislike interrupting, but uh, it is 5 o'clock. And Emily would like me to be on time. I'm Vernon Vaughn, I'm one of the elders here at Grace Bible Church. Chuck asked me to uh, do the welcome and then take care of reading from Isaiah. So let me uh, open in prayer, and then we'll look into what Isaiah had to tell us 2,700 years ago. Lord, we just praise you and thank you for this wonderful evening. We just pray that you would uh, just continue to bless us. We lift up the folks who are here today and just pray that you would continue to keep them safe throughout all their activities and we just pray that you would allow them to have great fellowship with their families and make memories. Lord, we just uh, are so thankful that you sent your son for us and uh, we're here to just remember that time when, when he arrived here on earth. We pray for all this in your precious son's name. Amen. So, I'm not sure what Isaiah was thinking when the Spirit directed him to write these words, but uh, keep that in mind. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. That was 714, and now 9, 6 through 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. Let's stand to sing this first hymn together.
Changes everything 
day he changes everything Good evening, everyone. It's really great to see you all here tonight. I'm Jerry Blystone, and I would like to read the Christmas story to you this evening. We'll read Luke 1, 26 through 35, Luke 2, verses 1 through 20. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth, This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, 
to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the sword the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which were told them about this child, and all who heard it wondered at these things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Thank you, and Merry Christmas to everyone.
It's really good to see you folks here tonight. Well, traditionally what we do in a Christmas, not necessarily we, but what Christian churches do is they'll you know, go through all of the Christmas story and all of those uh, things which we have done. But all too often, I don't think that we go to the final result of what all of that was for. So we're going to go into that a little bit tonight, if you don't mind. If you do, that's too bad. <laughs> but, you know, we went through the predictions of Isaiah, which I love. It's, it's wonderful to read those and then to see how all that was fulfilled with Christ on his time on earth and since, obviously. And then we looked at his presence, which was his uh, incarnation, which where God became man. Just imagine that. It's very, very uh, interesting to think about. We're going to look at the purpose for all that. God had a purpose when he sent his son to the, to the birth in Bethlehem. He had a long-range plan. He knew exactly what he was doing. And when you start to begin to understand what his plan was and how he was fulfilling his plan, you have to be in awe at his perfection and how marvelous he is. But, you know, today, and not just today, but probably for the last 2,000 years, the question has been, well, who was this Jesus? You know, and what was he here for? Well, today you hear, of course, that he was brought here, sent here as an example, Right? to show us how to live, how to live in peace, and how to be all the kinds of things that God would have you to be. Is that true? It is true. He was sent for that purpose too, but that was only a part of the purpose. Another, others would say, well, he was a prophet, and that's, of course, what the, the, many of the Jews were saying of that day was that he was a prophet. And he was, wasn't he? He certainly was a prophet. He foretold an awful lot of things in his life here. But that was, that's not what Luke says he, was, came, he came here for. In Luke 19.10, he says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's his purpose. So everything up to that point of seeking and saving all those who are lost are just kind of dress rehearsals, so to speak, of what his real purpose was. His real purpose was to save the lost. And you might say, well, who are the lost? Well, the lost is every human being that ever existed. Once sin entered the world and once man committed sin, and that sin has carried on to you and I, there has been this division between God and man that was not, should not have been there, but was and is. And that division is caused by Sin. Sin is, God is a holy, and we ever stop and really think about what that means, a holy God. That means he is so far removed from anything that we think we are that it's just absolutely incredible. But nevertheless, God had a plan, remember? And his plan was he wanted to have a relationship with his creation. Now, you and I are his creation. Uh, the lost is me, the lost is you. 
But sin became the barrier between God and man. But God, being God, had a plan. Y'all know John 3.16, don't you? We're going to parse that out a little bit tonight because it's a wonderful, wonderful passage. You see it at all the football games and everything like that and the banners and things like that. Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever shall believe in him shall not perish but has everlasting life. Do you realize that that's the whole plan of God right there in that one statement? Because what he is saying, that there's a reason that he's doing all of this. And that's because God loves you and loves me. Can you imagine that? You know, I like you guys and all that, and I love some of you guys, but I'm not so sure about, you know, the rest of you. But God loves everybody. So in his love, he says, because God so loved the world, he had to have a, he had to carry that out. And so, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, that means that he gave Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ is God, you know. We sometimes don't think about that. I remember growing up that I really didn't ever connect that to. I, I, you know, I went to all the uh, Christmas Eve services and things like that. Well, maybe not all of them, but frequently. And uh, my idea was that, you know, Jesus was born then, and he, that was kind of it. He didn't exist beforehand or anything like that. But he existed eternally with the Father. He was always with the Father. Well, Jesus came to pay the price that you and I cannot pay. There is nothing that we can do that can reconcile, our, reconcile us with a Father who is holy and righteous. So, so God, being the fact that he loved us sufficiently to send his Son to take care of that problem, and he did. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, it says, Paul is writing this, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then to many, many more. This is the whole gospel right here. This is what you must believe about Jesus Christ. That, he, that he's God, that he died for your sins and my sins personally, and that he was buried, but he's alive today. He was raised from the dead. That's the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 5.29, we get to the idea about it being a substitution, took, taking your place. Um, in 2 Corinthians 5.19, we read that it says, and again, it's Paul writing. He says, namely, that God was in Christ. Think about this. Reconciling the world to himself. He's talking about when Christ was on the cross. He was reconciling the world to God. Not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the, record, the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. 
We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What does that mean to be reconciled to God? Well, we'll look into that in a moment. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In other words, what he's saying there is that we do not have sufficient righteousness to satisfy the, the righteous standing of our God, God the Father. And so therefore, Jesus Christ became our righteousness for us. He imparted his righteousness to us so that when God looks down on one who has placed his faith in Christ, he doesn't see dirty, rotten Chuck. He sees saved Chuck. He sees the righteous Chuck because Chuck is in Christ. He sees Jesus Christ. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Well, you know, over the years, um, I was raised in a mainline denominational church and... uh, and I thank God for that. You know, that was good. I learned a lot of the basic things, you know. I went to uh, confirmation, that's what it's called. I almost forgot what that was. Anyway, where you learn all the fundamental things and all of that. But it wasn't until I really realized and, and it was shown to me that, you know, God, God wants a personal relationship with you. He doesn't want a corporate relationship with you. He wants to know you personally, and he wants you to be his personally. And that requires something on our part. But what it doesn't require is going to church. It doesn't require being baptized. It doesn't require that I clean up my act, thank God. I would have certainly and did fail in all of those things. I did go to church, however. And I was baptized, too. So, but nevertheless, that has nothing to do with this. So, <laughs> but what did John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that what? Whoever believes in him has eternal life. It doesn't say believes in him and walks the aisle. It doesn't say believe in him and get rid of all junk in your life. It doesn't say believe in him and stop whatever it is you're doing. (laughs) Uh, It says, believe in him. Remember the little passage that we read in Corinthians where we were talking about that Christ died on the cross for me and that through him I have eternal life? That's exactly what is required. Now, the amazing thing to me is, and and I'm going to just read you a few passages of John This is something that 40 years ago I probably didn't really know anything about, um, or maybe 50 years ago. (laughs) Time does fly, you know. So anyway, in John uh, chapter, uh, let me go back here to to a couple of passages in John. Here's an exercise for you to do. I'd like to have you go through the book of John, the gospel of John sometime, and just underline or circle every time it says believe. Believe. And see how many times it says, and do anything else. You're going to find that there's something like 90 times in the Gospel of John where John says that what you must do is believe. We cloud the thing up so badly with all the other junk. I'll never forget one time I was at a conference and 
the youth pastor was speaking, and at that time I was sort of interested in youth pastoring, which that passed quickly. But uh, he was talking about, the, the, the speaker was saying, well, you know, um, Jesus wants you just to come to him. And, to be, and, I, and I'm, great, you're, you're saying the right thing. But a guy raised up his hand in the back, he says, but you can't come empty-handed. And I'm thinking, how can I bring anything? How can, you, how can you not come empty-handed? If you don't come empty-handed, you're not coming. What you're saying is, okay, Jesus, I'd like you to participate. Or I'd like you to you know, help me along here so that maybe as a team we'll be able to save me. How silly is all of that? What's that saying is that Christ's death and burial and resurrection was not sufficient. What he did on the cross was not enough. I have to add something to it. Well, in John chapter 5, verse 24, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, and this is Jesus speaking, and how do I know that? Because it's in the red letter version. <laughs> he who hears my word, hears my word, which you're hearing right now, and believes him who sent me has eternal life right now right then and eternal life means what like forever and does not come into judgment but has passed out of death into life what a marvelous marvelous passage that is and then in chapter 6 verse 29 jesus says these are when the, the guys are saying, oh, well, hey, what can we do to, to, you know, what kind of work do you want us to do so that we can be blessed by God, you know, so that God will take us in and be, let us be one of his child, children. Jesus answered and he said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Isn't that interesting? That's the only requirement, is that you believe in him. Everything else is superfluous doesn't add anything and detracts from. In six, verse, uh, verse 40 of chapter 6, he says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. How can you be any clearer than that? If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. Now, I don't know about you, and I can remember back in my days when I was a stubborn resistor, and all of that, but how does it make any sense when God has a plan for you in his life that you don't participate in that plan, that you don't want to be connected with God the Father so that you can live your life as completely as possible? Because he has an eternal plan for each and every one of us. It's, it's just amazing to me how stupid I was to refuse to listen to Billy Graham when I listened to Billy Graham. Because I did. I listened to him a lot of times in those old days. But it never, ever captured my attention the way it should have. So all that I, the only reason that I bring this up is because it is the most important decision that you'll ever make in your life is this decision to trust Christ. And you're looking at the greatest gift that God could ever give mankind, and that was Jesus Christ. And as we're celebrating Christmas, which is a time of gift-giving and all of those things, and now you can kind of see why that makes some sense, the gift-giving,
because it was the greatest gift of all time when Jesus Christ came in the flesh. And all that he says to you is that you must quit trusting in your own works and trust in mine as being sufficient. You don't need anything else. Now God's going to take you once you trust him. He's going to take you and he's going to start showing you what he wants you to do. And that's wonderful. If God is God, then wouldn't you want to be doing what he wants you to do? Because you know that's the best. But no, we'll say, ah, no, let me go my own way, and then when it fits me right, I may do some things for you or stuff like that. But it's not really that way. It's the greatest life there is, is to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And so I would admonish you tonight and, and encourage you tonight that if you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior, this is the day to do it. There is no better time. If you've done that, and if you do that this evening, I'd love to hear about it or talk to some other believer or your mom and dad or anything like that so that uh, people can encourage you and, and uh, bring you along with that. It's a wonderful thing for, for believers. It's a time of rejoicing. For unbelievers, it's a time of decision. And that's the reason that Jesus came. That's the reason for the season right there. I don't have that little sign that we had here the other day that said the reason for the season, but that would have been a good time to put that up, wouldn't it? Well, so praise God for his indescribable gift, which is what Paul said about Jesus. And isn't that the truth? And I just would... I hope that you consider Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. Thank you. Jerry and Vern, can I have you two be our torchbearers tonight? (laughs) Have your candles ready. We'll have them come down the center aisle. And the person sitting on the aisle seat can take the flame and accept the flame from the candle next to you as we sing Silent Night.
Christmas, everyone. Thank you for coming. Have a blessed evening.